generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus C podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy too. My name is Bethany and I'm the black girl. And I'm here with two of my favorite other black Christian girls today. I'm so excited for the part two, three years later, of the Black Girl episode of the Color Correction podcast. So what I'm gonna do is pass it over to Courtney and Brooke to introduce themselves, let us know your pronouns, and yeah, what your what your racial identity is. So my name is Bethany, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a Black woman. I'm gonna send it over to Courtney. Hey y'all, it's good to be here. Um, my name is Courtney Anika, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a biracial Black woman. Awesome. Hey everyone, my name is Brooke. I also use she, her pronouns, and I also am a Black woman. Awesome, awesome. I am so excited to have you all on and to be doing this special episode because, yeah, the way we navigate race and faith as Black women is really different in this world, right? It's a different experience. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you all about it. So let's jump right in first by talking about how the hell do we know each other? How did we end up meeting? Let's do some introductions. So Courtney, I met you through Roots of Justice. We took the same uh, Roots of Justice audience members. If you're not familiar with Roots of Justice, I'm sure you've heard me mention it before. But Roots of Justice is a consulting collective that works together to create and implement anti-racism trainings. And it comes from the... um, it was born out of the Mennonite Central Committee, right? Yeah, that's yep. correct. And then about 10 years ago, it became its own entity and is continuing to do fabulous work. Um, yeah, and support churches and organizations that want to enlist more anti-racist strategies. So I took that anti-racism analysis training back in 2019 and got to meet Courtney. And I don't know what it was about you, Courtney, but you just stuck with me. And yes. your name, my phone <laughs> is still Courtney, black girl from training. Right? right, I always put notes on people's names, and because I think that's yes. funny, your name is still there. So yeah, let's talk about roots of justice and that training, and yeah, what you're doing and who you are. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, we did definitely meet in the 2019 training, and in Philly. Um, and it was an in-person training for Roots of Justice. And I remember going into that training feeling like I didn't want to go because it's frustrating to be a Black woman in anti-racist spaces and to always be speaking and feeling like the vulnerable part. Um, And I left that training after two and a half days feeling so different and having made so many connections with other Black people in particular. And I think that that made it really unique. And I remember, Bethany, we sat at two different tables, but we kept, as things were coming up and talking, like we kind of riffed off of each other a lot, not knowing anything about each other um, in that space. And when we would have time to caucus as well, we would do um, that same thing. So Roots of Justice, I think, was such a beautiful beginning to Mm -hmm. our friendship. And um, the fact that we still get to work with one another in that space as trainer and staff and um, really getting to work on curriculum and doing what we what we love, what we're passionate about, what we're good at. 
Um, I've really appreciated the ways that we could just, we show up for each other. There's no, can I cuss on this podcast? Probably Absolutely. Not. I cuss on <laughs> Okay, <all> great. <laughs> Yes. I was like, there's no bullshit, <laughs> you know, like we're going to keep it straight. We're going to keep it 100 uh, every time. Um, this past year, I guess it was April, we realized we got together um, for drinks in Philly while I was visiting and said, yeah. wow, this is only the second time we've ever actually been like face to face in person together, yeah. which feels so wild because, um, yeah, it's been many years now and a beautiful um, growth of friendship. So. Yeah, I've loved it. Yeah, it is really wild to think of that because I feel like you're a dear person to me and I literally have only been around you like twice. It's really wild. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so wild. And it's then so wild. Brooke, we know each other because our social media goddess, Tess Patino, just randomly texted me that I would probably like you. <laughs> and then I saw that we have the same initials. So I added you. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how I know you. No, I was going to say, I feel like Courtney is the, yeah. is the common <laughs> denominator. The connector. And yeah. then this one time texts me like, how do you know her? I went to college with her. Yeah. But Courtney was the connection because yes. you're a pastor in my hometown. Yes, which Shout is wild. Yes, which is absolutely wild. I was going to say, yeah, like Courtney has introduced me to a lot of people, actually. But <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't really know, like the Delaware thing. I'm not really vibing with it. And like, I don't really know a lot of black women like where I'm at right now. And like she mentioned you because I'm also in Philly a lot. But like then you had these Delaware connections, too. It was it was wild. But mm -hmm. um yeah, just like a lot of things in common. And yeah, I was really excited. And then these other people like Tess, and then you had like connections to our undergrad. Like it was just, it was the weirdest thing, like full circle. <laughs> yeah, that's why I can't even remember how I know you. Yeah. <laughs> because there were so yes. many overlapping connections. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for being my friends and coming on this podcast. Yeah. I'm excited to talk. So I'm a little flustered um, because I feel like I'm acting more professional than I usually do, but I'm a little flustered from this fucking app. Fuck shit up. The <laughs> listeners will not know why I'm, why I'm flustered, but like it literally took us almost like 25 minutes to get it together to start recording. So, you know, it's Mercury retrograde. Yeah. It's and then there's like feedback and stuff. So I'm feeling a little flustered. So I wanted to name that so I could bring my energy down. But let's jump right in. So this is the Black Girl episode. I love being a Black woman. I think that so often, probably every day. But I wonder for you all, what do you love about being a Black woman? What does that, what does that identity, what does that title bring up for you? I'll go first. We're like looking at each other. Okay. Um, I I love being a black woman. And I think what's really, Brooke is a huge part of this. And I, is sisterhood is really mm -hmm. being able to, um, there's something completely different when you are in community with black women or you are walking down the street and you see another black woman or you're just in space with a black woman, you're immediately catching eyes. And that sisterhood, that that baseline of sisterhood, I think, is just really so incredible. And through specifically my relationship with Brooke, but with so many other Black women, um, sisterhood has saved my life. I mean, time and time again, through being in relationship with Black women, through being proud of 
my hips and being proud of like just who I am and loving myself fully um, is such like that's immediately what comes up for me. I mean, I could talk forever, but my immediate reaction is sisterhood and in the ways that loving other black women has allowed me to love myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, sisterhood is definitely a big part of it. I think my first instinct was like, there's just nobody doing it like us. Like, period. period. Like, there's just nothing like it. And that's like, what we, period poo. Like, <laughs> like, we just do it all. And through the good and through the bad, like, we can just take nothing and make it everything. And I just think all the Black women that have been a part of my life, um, are magical. Like there's just mm -hmm. something, something about the way they move, about the way they think, about the way that they see the world. And um, I would say like pretty much every movement, everything that's been significant, whether it's fashion or music or art or church, like no matter what, like we've been behind it. And I just mm -hmm. think that that's something that like, I, I just have a lot of deep pride in. Um, so yeah, like just nobody, nobody is doing it like we're doing it. And that's just at the end of the day, what makes me feel at home in myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the people that taught you to love yourself and black women? Like who are the black women that really, Courtney, you mentioned earlier that Brooke has played a part in, in your response, but who are some of the other black women that have helped you love others and yourself? For me, it definitely is my sorors. When I think of learning how to love Black women, I think of being online. I think of pledging and the aftermath of it. You know what I mean? Like you have to do all this building while you're online and pledging. But then you also have to uphold this chapter and uphold these traditions and continue to build with each other afterwards. So that clunkiness of, yeah, that clunkiness of I did not choose these women. And sometimes, especially my line sisters, we get on my fucking nerves, right? <laughs> but we have a goal. We believe in something. And for that reason, I need to see you as a sister. I need to choose you as a sister to get to the end. Yet being a soror really, really helped me learn how to love Black women. Mm. It's not that hard. <laughs> but it really, really, that, that process really helped me learn yeah, you make this work with your sisters. Yeah, absolutely. We not easy. We are easy to love. So, yeah. <laughs> like you know, to to show up as we are. Um, it's interesting because Brooke and I went to a predominantly white uh, institution, and you went I to think the that college. My sister actually left as a black woman. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Like, I gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because being in, you know, and as I shared, being as a biracial black woman, I've been in a lot of white spaces my entire mm -hmm. life. Um, and so our undergrad was no different from that. But we, the, the ways that black women showed up in those spaces, especially because of the whiteness that was around it. Um, I think that was really such a catalyst for me loving myself of seeing the ways that these Black women showed up. And so for me, there are people who are still on staff at that undergrad that are still mentors for me, that are still people, people who are even connected to Roots of Justice that are 
black women who have held shit down mm-hmm. um, and who have loved me so deeply and beautifully um, that those are the people that come to mind that have really um, paved the way for me that against all obstacles, they put all of that and, and none of them would even frame it around white spaces to just show up for who mm-hmm. we are and mm-hmm. to be authentically themselves at all times in the variations of what it means to be in black womanhood. Because when I tell you some of them, you know, Burke and I talk about all the time, we'll see some of our, you know, mentors online and we're like, Oh yes. my God, <laughs> you know, did you see screenshots? <laughs> Absolutely. Every time. Um, because there are such big ways that we show up. Um, and that boldness, that beauty has allowed me to also show up boldly and beautifully mm-hmm. um, and authentically to who I am in whatever space that I'm in unapologetically. And it feels crazy when you're young, right? Like when you see yeah. your mentors showing up in these big, bold ways, or even like I think of my mom. And I remember you mentioning your mom when we had a conversation one time, Brooke, too. Like, can't you bring it down? What are yes. you doing? Yes. Like this is, and then one day you just understand that boldness. Like nobody's right. gonna have your back like yourself as a black woman. So let mm-hmm. me get up and show out. Right. What are some of the times that stand out for you all when black women showed up on campus? Because I went to a HBCU up until senior year. <laughs> It was black as fuck. And the only reason I have beef with that is because um, lots of HBCUs will (laughs) give scholarships to white kids because Mm -hmm. that gives them like more money for diversity. And Dell State went real fucking hard senior year. And I walked into the MLK Center and there was this white girl sitting crisscross down the MLK Center. Oh, my God. (laughs) Don't just be sitting here oh no! So, anyways, <laughs> still a little upset about that. But oh, um, no, you know, I went to an HBCU, so everybody was black. I saw myself everywhere, and that was one of the ways that I learned how to love myself because I saw myself in leadership. But yeah, I wonder what showing up looked like for you all. Well, I the only thing I thought of was actually how me and Courtney connected. And I, I feel like the way that we became friends in undergrad is probably true of like all the black women on campus is that we just kind of gravitate towards each other. I feel like Courtney and I have been saying for so long, like we wanted to be friends. Like we kind of had like friend crushes on each other. That's like the wording, <laughs> wording we used back then. But like we saw each we other. We were not out as queer at the time. <laughs> we were not out as queer at the time. But we had, we we saw each other, we heard about each other, you know, we wanted to be friends and we admired each other from afar. And then we had this opportunity to be in proximity to each other, being RAs together and working together, like. Shout out to RAs. Shout out to RAs, (laughs) like literally working together nonstop. Yeah, Um, college police. Exactly, literally. The narcs Yeah, I don't know how I even got through that year, to be honest. It is a lot of weird politics, but. Like we were drawn to each other. It was like magnetic. And I feel like when you are in white spaces, like there is something about that nod that you give to other black people, Mm -hmm. that smile you give to other black women. Like there's just something about us where 
And I, I do it now because I work in a predominantly white church and denomination. And when I see other black women, it's the same thing. Like we swarm to each other and we're like, are you OK? Like, <laughs> when can I go to your office? Like, when can we kiki? When can we let go? Because it's there's like a certain element of like suffocation that happens mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. know that about each other. And so you just kind of draw to each other's energy. Um, and I, I know like there were people's offices that I was in, you know, um, I spent several hours in some of those mentors offices, like especially when I first got there, because it was hard. It was like, yeah. tell me about what it's actually like here. And yeah. knowing that you're going to get a different answer. Like there's just something about that shared experience that um, I think created community, even if you weren't like, even if you weren't automatically close to somebody, there was already a closeness built in because you, you're kind of like being thrown to the wolves together mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you know that you can lean on each other. Yeah. I remember in high school, I went to a predominantly white high school and our cheerleading squads were segregated in the way that things are segregated without it being named. So all the white girls that could tumble really good, they made the football cheerleading squad, which was the moneymaker in Middletown. And all the black girls were who didn't tumble because the gym didn't have as much room to tumble were the black girls, the basketball cheerleading squad. So I made basketball wow. cheerleading sophomore and uh, freshman and sophomore year. And then I jumped all the way up to varsity football cheerleading Friday night lights, right? And I was so hyped until I showed up and it was just my black ass and this other black girl who did not fuck with the other black girl. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the worst. It's like, oh, I see you. And they're like, yes. <laughs> and you're like, damn, you're not one of us. <laughs> like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. But then another black girl who I happened to be on the basketball cheerleading squad with, who was nothing like me. She liked modeling before like people had iPhones and stuff. Her parents would pay for her to get photo shoots and weaves and oh, shit. Wow. And I was fresh out of homeschool. I could just cheer. But when I tell you that girl was my best friend <laughs> the whole season, we just had to survive. So we had nothing in common. We did not like each other before or after that season. But that season we had slumber parties. We were taking each other like you need each other to survive as Black women sometimes, whether it's really practical or not. <laughs> we had yeah. nothing in common. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. So, and I think, Brooke, as you were talking about um, just like being in mentors' spaces and having that access, um, I used to work at our undergrad as well. And I remember I literally had like a pillow and a blanket in my office because people would come take a nap, like black girls would come take a nap in my office because it was the safest place for them to be, you wow. know, on campus. And I think back to high school in particular, um, I went to a fairly diverse high school, but the the black percentage, I grew up in California. And so the, we had, we were fairly diverse, but we were about equivalent actually with the white people who were on campus. Um, and they, we had a room, which we called the black room. It was room 808. I will never forget it. And we all sat there. We all went to the black room. Like people would ask where the black kids there in 808. Every single time we all ate lunch there together. Um, and with a person I still call mama to this day, mama Robinson, who was the advisor at the time, like cared and nurtured for all of the black students on campus. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired, so forgive me, but I, there's a, 
you know, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria, right? Yeah. Like there's this concept that we're all very aware of that we gravitate. And I think there, as we talk about black women, like there's this really important like mothering aspect that black women show up with regardless of like birthing a child in the ways that they nurture whomever the students um, and access that they have to other black girls in particular, that I think is really so beautiful that no one else can really touch the ways in which black women have an abundant amount of love to give and have really mothered this country. We could talk about that for like a whole nother, (laughs) you know, uh, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very real. Like they're, Black women have absolutely built and cared and nurtured to our literal titty, um, this yeah. country. You know, like that's a very real to thing. To our detriment. And yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's really interesting and beautiful the ways that Black women, um, the way that we have experienced Black women to also be able to cater to that nurturing aspect of love and safety and like I can find my safe place because this person is here. When I think about undergrad, I knew those people who had my back, who were looking for opportunities for me, who were seeking, who are still looking out for me that I may not talk to, you know, for months and whatever, but that those are still my people. Those are the people who are going to lift me up that I can call, that they can call that are here no matter what, that there is just this like simplicity of being and feeling safe. Um, that doesn't necessarily exist in any other spheres the way that I think that we've created it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often think being a black woman is an apprenticeship. Like you really need to be under the tutelage of another black woman to really learn how to navigate this world in this body. That's both woman and um, a black person challenging. Mm-hmm. What are, I'm trying to think of how I want to transition. What are some of the ways that you've seen your faith grow because of Black women? Well, first, let's actually run it back. Let's talk about you all's faith background. This is a Jesus-y, a lightly dusted with Jesus podcast. (laughs) what's What's your faith background like? Did you all grow up going to church? Yeah. Well, I can start. I'm like, I guess, you know, that makes sense. Um... So currently I am ordained um, and the Presbyterian Church. Um, that is very hilarious because I didn't know <laughs> a Presbyterian nor really all that Christian um, in the sense that, you know, my extended family is very religious, um, relatives, all of that. Um, but my own household was very, very not about it. My parents both, you know, had been very, very churched. And by the time that they wanted to have their own kid, they were like, you know, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> and so it was this really hilarious thing of like kind of seeing other people in my family, you know, experience their faith and seeing friends experience their faith in ways that I really couldn't. I really didn't have parents that still went or like could explain things to me so it was really like my own hunger and interest that sort of brought me back to church um 
And it's been a really, really interesting journey to go from not really having church at all to being really, really obsessive about it. I'm obsessive (laughs) about everything. Like if I like something, I really really like it. And so (laughs) just kind of going through this phase and, um, you know, then being disillusioned and frustrated with church and um, knowing from a young age that I wanted to be ordained, but what that has looked like has changed so much in my life as I come, came out as queer, as I try to figure out how to understand my racial identity, my gender, like all of that, and how literally every part of me has been in some way demonized by the church and how to how to maneuver that. And so I would say like, I've always been very spiritual from the time I was really young. Um, And right now, while a lot of that is in the church, it also has taken on this very kind of fluid form. Like I consider Jesus my centering point, my teacher. And at the same time, I don't believe in faith that limits us just to the church, just to the Bible. especially as black people, we've always had so many ways of connecting to the divine. And I really honor that. I honor my ancestors. I honor the stars. I honor the land, all these things that I've incorporated into that. Um, And that feels um, queering in a way of what church looks like and means. And that's something that I try to incorporate. Um, But it's been a very, very not what you would expect up and down journey for me. Um, I'm kind of in and of and not all at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How about you, Courtney? What's your faith background? Yeah, for me, um, you know, I got into the church because my mom wanted me to go to this private Christian school and we got a discount if we went to church (laughs) at the (laughs) church connected to the school. And so that's how I started going to church and, um, yeah, church was a really big part of my life. I mean, that's how Brooke and I really got connected was the love of theology, really. Uh, shout out, Brooke was my theology TA <laughs> um, <laughs> in undergrad. And that was people, how people showed up in church, that community concept was really like the the beginnings of my church background. And so Um, I grew up with white Jesus. I mean, I went to a white church and that was really my understanding. It's taken me a lot of years um, to be able to dismantle that understanding um, and to not connect it solely to Christianity um, and to really understand, you know, we've talked about the three of us in particular talked about this concept of of God as a black woman. and, and, And we'll talk about that a little bit more too. But I think what really stands out for me in that is especially the elder black women in my life. Um, God is such a huge part of, of that, of their expression of faith. Mm-hmm. And that has played a really impactful part of me, to be honest, like not signing Christianity completely out of my life is the ways that faith shows up so abundantly in the black women that I love. Um, in particular, this like this love for Jesus and this understanding for um, a difference from being out of white Jesus and actually understanding the seriousness and the reality of this experience of this person who walked this earth. Um, so that's really important to me. And I too am a person who is 
very spiritual, who is um, absolutely seeing God in every living thing. Um, and I, that's been a huge grounding point for my faith has been understanding the divinity in myself, understanding the divinity in other people, being able to see, we talk about, you know, being created in the image of God, but then what does that actually look like to name the divinity that we see in one another, to Mm -hmm. name the divinity um, and the God of this land in the trees, in our stars, and to really be able to understand that. And so that's where my faith is and kind of how I've gotten to where I am. Um, I also studied ministry in undergrad, um, but unlike Brooke, took a a hard turn when we graduated. (laughs) (laughs) Brooke Brooke ran towards the church and has been, you know, a huge catalyst, as have you, Bethany, to really uh, keeping the church accountable to the words that they that they use. Um, And I've been like, Peace. I don't know what it is y'all talking about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's definitely a, a point for me that I think is still tension, but I will say that I'm completely rooted in particular. My grandmother, Versi, is really present as we're talking right now. Um, and it's like, you better speak my name as you're talking about Jesus. So let me go ahead and speak <laughs> my grandmother, <laughs> Versi's name. Um, Versi Lee loved God like, like nobody else. Um, yeah. And so... When I think about all of, again, all of the elder Black women in my life, all of them have such this big, beautiful faith. And it really has been such a grounding point for me. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's such a good point that you that you said, Courtney, because I think that for me, like people ask, and y'all probably are not going to be surprised by this, but people ask me all the time, like, how are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Right. Because... When people meet me, there's so much about me that doesn't line up with what they think about church and what they think about clergy. And it's a fair question. But I think for me, like personally, one of the things that does always draw me back is this legacy and is this like fact that like I can't shake that this was so important to so many people. And not that I have to like not that it has to be important to me, too. But I do think that there's something that Jesus means that's different to black women, especially our elders, like not to be like all like scholar, um, but there is a book about like, you know, the difference between like white women's Christ and black women's Jesus. And, you know, the idea is that like the white women's Christ is about, you know, a, a Jesus that is unreachable that you can't see that, you know, is more like the person who is untouchable, like your master, you know, Mm -hmm. And for Black women's Jesus, it was always about survival. It was always about someone who's, like, very close and intimate. And I think about, like, just the Black woman who raised me and and nourished me, like, knowing what he meant to them. Like, that's something that centers me. You Mm -hmm. know, not the institution, not the doctrines. Like, when they hummed Jesus because they didn't know how they were going to, like, where they didn't know where their meal was going to come from. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that means something to me. And like when they were afraid for their young boys going out in the streets and all they could say was Jesus, like that means something to me. And and so it's like trying to find like the mystery of that. Um, and we know that like statistically too, like black women are some of the most spiritual people like in the world, like not even in the country, but in the world. And it doesn't look like Jesus for all of us, um, but that's definitely a big part of it. And um You know, I think that I'm just really stubborn about like, there's something to that. Like, even Mm -hmm. if I want to be different, there's something to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just trying to recover 
some of what it meant, even if it takes on different forms and different names, um, is powerful. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how you live, how you live that out. Like to me, no one lives out the doctrine of Jesus better than black women. Like mm-hmm. Jesus said, when you feed the hungry, right? Like you, you're feeding me. And I'm like, black, when you talk about two loaves, two fish in a loaf or whatever yes. it is that Jesus was splitting up to all these thousands, you know, like that's what black women do. You come over Thanksgiving, whatever you, if you're eating after church, like you're going to make, you're going to feed everybody. Nobody is going to go hungry showing up in yeah. those spaces. Black women are going to make sure of that. And so I think that living out, when you think about the communities and church being the center for generations of people to get, again, coming back to safety, to be fed, to be clothed, to be cared for. Black women are doing that in every aspect, in and out of their Mm -hmm. home. And the church has been such a catalyst for the ways that they've been able to live out their faith in that way, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I hadn't thought of it this way. But absolutely, the faith of my mother and my grandmother have been such an example for me that at times when I want to let go of Jesus, I don't feel like I can because there's something to that. And in this particularly really difficult season of my life, um, podcast listeners and my friends know that my mom was diagnosed with cancer about three years ago. And continuing that journey, it I only know how to lean on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I never thought it's making me emotional. When my mom, uh, grown up, would say, ask Jesus, pray about it. It felt dumb and empty to me. Mm-hmm. And now as a woman in a world where I don't have answers, leaning on to Christ, leaning on to Jesus, leaning on calling on his name in the ways that I can remember mm-hmm. my mother coming in my room at night. That mm. shit makes sense now. Yeah. That shit mm. really makes sense now. I get very emotional when I talk about my mom. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that Jesus, not the Jesus of the white churches that I grew up going to, right. not the Jesus uh, that evangelicals talk about, but that Jesus that my mom prayed to in the middle of the night for me. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. Too. It's very powerful because that that Jesus also that they're calling upon. I believe that the words that we use as black women, especially calling upon um, our God in that way, is so deeply connected to our ancestors, whether or not we consciously believe that. And yeah. so the the lineage of black women that have come now, I'm getting chills thinking about like seeing I can see your mom crying and calling out to Jesus and caring and loving for you. And I can see the black women behind her that are speaking that all these women in this lineage, speaking the same thing of power and protection over your body. And that that's, that's fucking powerful. And it's really, it's really such a beautiful experience to be connected um, to God in that way. Yeah. 100% it's connected to our ancestry. I can think of, um, I think I've told this story on the podcast too, but there was a something going on in the church about three years ago. And one of my friends posted an email and some other church members had a problem with him 
send it in. You know how white people are, right? They like to get into the, uh, <laughs> yes. into the like order of things, right? So it wasn't yes. supposed to go to that email list, sir. <laughs> well, he's asking for supplies for a homeless person. So if it's on the membership or the share or whatever fucking listserv it is, give them homeless motherfuckers some fucking clothes. Like Literally. who fucking put on? Literally. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? But when you're too cowardly to say what you actually have an issue with, you go into processes, right? And white people do that a lot. So, you know, he told my friend at the church, don't send that email to that listserv. You should send it only to this listserv. So when I found out about it, I've been crying and my eyelashes about to come off. Um, you're good. Pull them off. <laughs> right. But, um, when I found out about it, it made me so mad. And I said to my friend, Send it to that listserv. Send it to whatever listserv that you want. And if somebody says something to you about it, tell them Bethany Stewart said you could fucking do it and they should email me, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe a month or two later, I'm talking to my mother about her grandmother, whom I never met, uh, Annie, Anna Reynolds, um, Annie Reynolds. And <laughs> my grandma Annie got kicked out of the Baptist church for 99 and a half years. That is fucking hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, she converted over to Pentecostalism. The Baptist church put her out for 99 and a half years. Jesus. Apparently grandma Reynolds would always say, and I hope I live long enough to tell them I don't want to come back. Right. Yes. Fucking hilarious. Right. So I Please. heard the story. Please, right. Yes. Get me to 99 and a half so I can talk shit. I don't right. want to come back. Right. But um, my mom was talking to me about her grandmother and at one point, one of the preachers in their church was taking money. I guess this might've been in the forties or the fifties, but he was taking money, their offering, and it wasn't coming back to the church. So like the steps are falling apart. This preacher has a car and shit, but the steps are falling apart. And finally, my grandma, uh, Annie said, tell him I'm not giving money to him anymore. And if he mm -hmm. has a problem with it, tell him he can come talk to Annie Reynolds about it. Mm -hmm. And when my yeah. mom told me that story, I was like, oh my God, I just said that exact same shit to my friend yeah. about something else in, in, in my church, right? Yeah. So that legacy, that energy, that Jesus that I call on is 100% the same Jesus that my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother that I'd never met before called yeah. on. And that spirit, that energy lives in me. And I didn't yeah. even know it. Yeah, and I think our life journey as Black women following Jesus kind of is collecting those gems and collecting that legacy and also starting new legacies too. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's so funny like that we're talking about this because actually this has happened, I think in this past year, but Courtney and I talk a lot about ancestors and we talk a lot about connecting with them and holding rituals for them and altar work and different things. And it's become something that's like really, really important to me. Um, and I get really like, cause I overthink everything, of course, but I would, I got to this point where I heard somebody say recently that when they were talking about their ancestors, because a lot of ways that we talk about like decolonizing our faith and like unlearning things in Christianity, we kind of like rationalize it by saying, you know, like we're trying to get back to our roots. We're trying to get back to like how mm -hmm. our ancestors practice their faith. And, and there's a lot of truth behind that. But I remember hearing somebody be like, but what do I do when my ancestors tell me that they worship Jesus? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, because like, because like literally so many of them did. And it's not to say that like you don't hit a certain point, right, where that wasn't true. But like on your way to Africa, <laughs> there are so many on this land who all they knew is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so like when I'm doing some of the stuff, like some of them are like, girl, what? Like, you know, and so it's like, for me, it's like frustrating almost sometimes. Like, it's this wrestling, it's this tension of like, we don't have to always do that. And also realizing like what it meant to them is okay. Like, it's mm. it's special, it's important. I don't have to disregard that. Yeah. Um, I don't have to do it the same way, but it's also okay to like hold it all together. Mm-hmm. Um just realizing that like yeah some of them are like girl what are you what is the smoke like you need to (laughs) but also like it's just more than one thing can be true at once Um, but like Jesus is a part of the story Mm -hmm. Um, for better or for worse what we did with Jesus was completely transform it from what was handed to us um, on plantations and mm-hmm. like we made it our own and there's something really beautiful about that and there's so something so yeah. powerful about yeah. that yeah like it really yeah go ahead some of the ancestors you know worship multiple deities right yeah, so they yeah. could understand and honor the the divine the divinity of Jesus and welcomed him into their to their already traditional practices. Right. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, I think oftentimes we think that like white people just gave us Jesus and disempowered us. Or there's even this phrase that I've heard from, I think Desmond Tutu of like something about when we closed our eyes, we had the land when we opened them, like we had mm-hmm. just the Bible in our hand. I'm very mm-hmm. bad at quote. Right. No, I know exactly. Me what too. You're so about. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm like somebody said this, and it was important. <laughs> it was. I know exactly what you're talking it about. Was so important. Um. But yeah, I, I I think of that. I lost my train of thought. I lost my train of thought. We're gonna have to cut that. <laughs> no, I mean that's okay. I think it's you're talking about the them taking everything else from us. Because white people stole our culture, stole everything Literally. from us, stole our family. And it's correct that they handed them the Bible and nothing else. Right. But I want to speak to our ancestors who never received white Jesus, who believed in the Jesus of their land. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that we more about that. We pass over that. We talked about it a little bit. We did a healing um, as racialized, healing racialized trauma, actually, for mm. Roots of Justice. And... Um, I, I wish I remembered the person who spoke to this and, and Bethany, maybe I could share that with you later. And, and they shared a book to that too. Um, but we were talking really heavily about, um, this is a person who's from the continent and was like, I, the stuff that y'all are talking about and this white Jesus is not what I grew up with because I never grew up with this version of Christianity. I grew up with the Christianity that was rooted in it's specifically African heritage and story and lineage and the understanding of this person who actually walked this land. And so I think that that's a piece that, you know, our ancestors that were brought to, um, that were hostages and were brought to this, to this land that we stand on now. Um, many of them, if not all of them had learned through white Jesus, but what Mm -hmm. I am understanding is is when we do our ancestral work, 
we continue to go back, right? And we and we go past this point of just being in this land that we now call America and we go beyond that. Some of our people believed in a very different Jesus and have mm-hmm. a very different understanding. Um, and I think that it's important to speak to them as well, who mm. did not have to deal with this tension of white Jesus that we, when we're like, what is it y'all? Like, why are we doing it? They're like, well, what are you even talking about? You right. know, like, those people are showing up for us too. Um, because yeah. it's completely, completely different for them. So, Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. And, you know, there are very few times where I will defend Christianity. (laughs) But the origins of it, I will always say, like, are important to name. Like, it started in Africa. Like, the first churches Mm -hmm. were in Africa. And that's important. And what that looked like is nothing like what it turned into. Right. And that, that is very, very important. Like, and I think that when you... When you are part of more kind of nature-based religions, like, you know, I think you said this, Bethany, like, it's not, like, either or. Like, it's, like, you can believe in multiple deities, and Jesus is also <laughs> is also wrapped up in that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not this westernized, like, you know, you believe in one God and in this particular way, and you believe in these particular doctrines. It's like, I think for them, it was a lot easier to see how they all were connected. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I kind of see myself returning to this, this, this blend that I think was very natural to them. It wasn't like a thought exercise. It wasn't like anything to them. It was just like, oh yeah, Jesus, like that's easy. Like that works too. Like, (laughs) and um, yeah, and ha- exactly, like having walked the exact land that they were in, like it, it meant something different. Um, so yeah, it, it just doesn't have to be like an either or. And it feels really important for me to hold hold those things together um, mm-hmm. and to like speak against the the black and white of like, you know, you're you're a heathen or you like worship the one true God or like, it has to look mm-hmm. like this and I'm like that is the white part of it like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so just kind of dismantling the categories yeah and I finally remembered my train of thought I think Jesus was actually empowering for some of our ancestors mm-hmm. I think as time went on and survival was crucial like the way faith was practiced has evolved um but yeah, I think that Jesus in some ways gave folks access to power, right? Like churches were were also organizing against um organizing against like slavery or like pastors. Um, even I can't remember what it was called, but like the services that were in the brushes and they would put up um like blankets and stuff to muffle it. There was a radicality to being in the church and following yeah. Jesus that I think as time has gone on um, and the church has really become more one and westernized, um, I think that has really disappeared. But no, there was a there was an empowerment that came from following Jesus from his traditions. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus is not the problem. Like, I'm going to flip tables with Jesus all day. Um, right. You know, Jesus was fighting against the things that we're in the streets fighting against all the time, yeah. every day. Um, and so, yeah, that's, 
huge and critical. Jesus is not the problem. It's the structure of the church and yes. the ways that it's been upheld that really is a, a difficult part in the experience. And I think that Jesus gets thrown into all of that, um, which is helpful if you can understand, if you can actually hold that, that's that both and, right? Like of actually holding that truth of Jesus um, and also being able to see how Jesus plays a impact in your particular life and also understanding a greater understanding of God. I think that that, that double sword is really important of having um, a larger understanding of God and also having this, you know, whether you believe Jesus was God or not, was this man who fucked shit up, you know, and yeah. rightfully so mm-hmm. empowered a lot of people. And that within itself, I think should be honored. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the word that keeps coming to me is efficacy, too. Like, that's something that's really unique about Black women is that Jesus is important, but it's it was never about the particular, again, doctrine or tradition. It was always like, girl, does it work? Like, <laughs> can it get me healed can it get me like through next week can it get me you know my bills paid like does it work and Mm -hmm. so I think that that's why like you see such fluidity you see like you know just kind of girl like yeah like does it does it get me what I need to get and not in a transactional way but in a I think the way that we enter into any spiritual conversation is always grounded in our lived experience. Like it's it's not this mm-hmm. like thing that's like up in the clouds. It's like, can it help me do these things? Can it help me make sense of these things? Like right. there's an immediacy, I think, that's very unique to the black experience that I think is also very sacred. Um, yes. Cause it's it's not it's not are you are you Christian? Are you Buddhist? Are you Muslim? It's always black women just trying to make a way. Like mm-hmm. I'm putting these different traditions around it, but um, but what what works for you? What gets you to where you need to go? What is helping you resist the conditions that we're in? What is helping you, like, literally, like, preserve your dignity in situations? And I just yeah. think we've had many different ways of getting there, but that's always what faith has been about. Is not, am I right? But does it help? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes me think of the like womanist movement in particular and like what has drawn me to to womanism is also multiple faith traditions coming in, centering black women in particular and being able to move through these concepts of um or this the stagnant. There's something stagnant that we get like stuck in in religion that I think womanism in particular and the ways that black women are leading um, in this movement and in womanist theology in particular, that is, that is, has some growth to do um, as do all of our movements. Um, But that has really, I have witnessed really accepted and been such a sacred space for black women of many traditions to be able to show up and just be faith filled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually feel like that's a good place to stop there because I think we talked a lot about all the things with Black women in the church. (laughs) So I'm going to move us forward into our last segment. Actually, no. I want to ask you this question. I think we've been answering this question throughout the whole episode, but I want to close on this question. Where do you see 
God in Black women? And where do you see Black women in God? Ooh. Ooh. That's a big one to close on. Um, I think, I mean, I, I want to go back to what I said about like the mothering nurturing, because I think mm -hmm. especially in the Christian church that many of us grew up in, when we talk about God, you, t you talk about father God. Um, and we could also talk all day about gendered God, <laughs> but sure. for, for sake of, of this purpose, um, and what we're discussing, um, I think that one of the one of the things that really stands out to me is God is the ways in which Black women um, have mothered and do mother is is I think such a huge part of the divinity of of self because a lot of Black women have also had to mother themselves and I see the ways in which God um, is present and so I think that's a that is my answer for God and black women. And I think black seeing black women in God is God is big and often is this like grandiose idea for us. It's God is um, abundant and all knowing and loving and all of these things are like concepts that we were told. And so when I think about black women in God, I see my grandmother. I see my big hipped, mm -hmm. big body, big personality, loud, um, passionate advocate. That's who I see in God is I see my grandmother who isn't going to let you fuck with her babies. Um, I see my grandmother who is going to be singing and chanting and um, with her physical, emotional, and spiritual body is just big mm -hmm. um, are the ways that I see Black women in God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I don't think I have anything to add. I mean, I feel like I've said a lot of the same things throughout um, different things that I've I've written and, and spoken on. But yeah, I mean, the lived experiences of people I know, the way that they nourish and care for not only themselves, but their entire communities. Um, I see that as, you know, Black women reflecting the image of God. Um, literal people I knew, people I sat on the porch with, people who got me together, <laughs> people who are still getting me together, um, but also people who would do anything for me. Like that, the way that we mother, I think, yeah, is what I... I agree. I always come back to, um, and I think of, you know, I, I don't think of God as, as rigid. I think of God as, you know, kind of being just as messy and emotional and having breakdowns over the things that I'm angry about and, um, and emoting with me and, um, yeah, just journeying with me rather than, you know, me kind of being acted upon. Um, I see God in the ways that we are creative as we move through this life. Um, and yeah, I mean, I echo all of those things. It, it means a lot for me to, to see God um, in this feminine nurturing way, um, mm -hmm. you know, even in queer ways, <laughs> just the the thing that is uncontainable the person who is uncontainable mm -hmm. awesome. yeah i feel like i see god in black women in the way that we can pull 
the way we pull people together and love people, like, I don't know. Like, I think of my mom. My mom would always have wild people at dinner on Sundays. Like, I didn't <laughs> always know who was going to be at dinner. But my mom distinctly would be like, you know, God told me that they needed somebody. So I invited them over for a meal, right? That, like, intentional loving of people and acting as, like, the physical love of God. You know what I mean? Um yeah, that's where I see God in Black women and also Black women in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. I All like right. That. Yeah, I'm going to move us into the last uh, section of our podcast, what we're into, where we just generally talk about the things that we're into and we like. So I'll start it off with Brooke. Things, anything that we're into? Yeah. Um, I, mine is always about pop culture, um, because Mm -hmm. I'm a pop culture junkie. Um, but I think there's a couple, um, I've been listening to Renaissance a lot, um, after having seen it live, I've been returning to that a lot. Um, I've also been listening to The Age of Pleasure by Janelle Monae, which, um, has been bringing me a lot of joy in a spiritual way too, um, just something that I've been obsessed with almost like as a as a meditation of my worth and value um, of the importance of pleasure, the importance of rest, the importance of not always producing and um, being connected to like what I do as a career, as a professional. Um, so I've been really like obsessed with just letting music just take me to somewhere else and letting me be this free flowing person outside of a job or expectation. Um, How about you, Courtney? Yeah, things that I'm into right now, I just moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I'm really enjoying exploring and getting to know this city. I keep uh, jokingly saying I moved here from Denver. So I keep just calling it Black Denver. Um, There's a lot of similarities. (laughs) from Denver to Charlotte. Um, and I'm grateful to be in a, in a blacker space and to also have access to black museums and stories. And so that's really been, that's really been something that I've liked that I've been enjoying. Um, and I'm reading Bone Black, which is by Bell Hooks, um, and is about stories of her girlhood. And I am very much enjoying just learning and listening it feels i actually texted brooke when i started it and i said it feels like i'm sitting and having coffee with my grandmother and being able to just listen to um, her stories um and then the last thing i'm like slightly embarrassed but not really because i've been watching since i was like eight but i'm a big big brother fan um and so it's sunday night and if you know anything about big brother like this is our football this is the season it comes on three nights a week and sunday is one of them um and there are two black women that are on the show this season which is rare for big brother especially to have two elder black women and they are just key keying on the live feeds and it's giving me so much life to just watch these two black women talk a mess about all these folks um so i'm really enjoying big brother remember what big brother is about girl it is a reality game show it is like the concept of big brother they stick 16 random house guests 
um, into a studio in LA basically. Um, and folks live there completely shut off from the rest of the world. Um, and they have competitions and have to vote each other. It's like survivor inside. Okay. <laughs> yes. Good summary. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and you know what? I started to put it on this that I'm into family matters. I cut off my cable. So I've been watching a lot of old shows and family matters be sending me every time I watch yes. this episode where Eddie um, has a dream that he marries Myrtle Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> And at one point she says, <laughs> she says, I'm ready to deposit what I've been saving. I said, oh, she said she would put that pussy for Eddie. <laughs> they were saying on TGI Friday in the 90s. That is I'm hilarious. So that's what I initially put, but then I forgot it's been some weeks, but we haven't talked about this on the podcast. I'm really into that Montgomery, Alabama brawl. Yes. <laughs> camera angles coming out specifically of yes. old boy jumping in that water and swimming to the fight yeah i was into that for the entire week after it happened and i'm honestly going to be into it for the next year black folks were saying that's our january 6th like absolutely it really is yeah it really is and i also do think there was an ancestral spiritual oh message. absolutely oh without a doubt without absolutely. a doubt without that location that location empowered them black folks yes jump in that water and to whoop ass like to whoop ass so i condone it i loved it i cried i laughed i cheered i'm very i in fact i kind of want it to happen every year that we just lie August 5th. That part. Little drunk white boys that like to pick fights with black people to see if they're strong, line their asses up and whoop their asses again (laughs) Every year. Every year. (laughs) Every year we whoop that ass. Because them white boys are the type. You could tell, maybe because I grew up in Middletown, but that white boy that likes to get drunk and suddenly you want to pick the biggest black guy there, you want to pick on him to to measure your strength. All right. Mm -hmm. Line. Come on down to Montgomery, Alabama. We'll whoop yeah. your ass next week. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I love that. That was a good moment. That was it a was. good moment. It's been really beautiful. It's one of those things that like I have mourned. Um I've I've really left Twitter at this point with all of the things that are happening, but it is like a deep mourning and grief of leaving black Twitter because of this exactly. Yes. Um, and I appreciate the ways <laughs> that we have been showing up in, in other social medias, but I wanted to name that there, because you just said that of like, this was really deeply ancestral and because the land itself, but in our, it was like an hour or two before they have showed, um, that there were a group of black women that actually did rituals in that area just an hour yeah. right before. Is that and true? Yes. Tr- I've seen yes. the footage. It is true. I saw the footage, but I didn't know if it was like, because the, the date of the footage was like after August 5th. And I was thinking like, well, if that had really, but you know how the internet is. The yeah. internet just takes images and says, this is what it is. But if that is true, Absolutely. I, I, Absolutely. Think it's true. I yeah. believe it. I don't know what the recording said. I didn't see the date, but I believe it. I'm it's putting all real. my eggs in that basket. Yeah. And the fact that it was called Harriet, like it's a whole thing. It's a whole yes. thing. Like, yes. 
they didn't know what they were doing. No. No respect for the ancestors or spirituality. And their asses got whooped. When that man hit that woman with that chair. Okay. I want it's the, the chair, chair for me. Always the chair for me. <laughs> I need a decal on my car that has yes. the chair. Yo, they got, they selling those uh, chair earrings on Etsy. Like it's a yes. whole thing. I, gotta like, get a I need everything. I need <laughs> all the merch. Chair earrings for homecoming. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and you mentioned old shows. I've been um I re- I just recently restarted Living Single too. So like yes, there's been nice. like very nostalgic things like that have been Absolutely. giving me life. Yeah, that's, that's on beautiful. the list to restart that. So good. So good. Ahead <laughs> of its time. <laughs> it was. It really was ahead of its time when I watch it now. Like these yes. four black women are baddish shit. Dope as shit, educated. Latifah, Queen Latifah character got her own business. She's a content creator. Exactly. My ass is queer. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, all right. With that, thank you all so much for coming on the podcast and being patient at the beginning and also being such dear women to me. Um, I have been a part of Circle of Hope, which is a predominantly white church. And our podcast listeners know it's been some shit the past couple of years. And both of you all have been such a grounding um, grounding force for me, right? Like white people will make you think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And you always need black folks and specifically black women in your corner to remind you you're not crazy. You're right. And let me keep on loving on you so you can keep that fight up. So I thank you for being that for me. Mm. Yeah, we love you. Thank you for inviting us to this and also in in your journey. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I have so much love for both of you. This was so fun. So thanks Mm -hmm. for getting us together to talk our shit and appreciate one another. (laughs) So good. Definitely. So with that... We want to hear from all of you all. We haven't gotten any listener letters in a long time. So go to the website, colorcorrectionpodcast.com and drop us a line. Let us know about your Jesus following and, uh, you know, your anti-racism strategies, all that stuff. This fight is hard. We want to hear from you. And with that, stay black, Little Mermaid.